0: Hello, everybody. Jason here from the At The Coalface podcast. I've created a new sub called Mentoring Moments, and Mentoring Moments is composed of clips taken from my one-on-one and group mentorship sessions, where we discuss e-commerce, digital, retail, and so much more. Hopefully, you get a lot out of this. Enjoy. I did want to go ahead and introduce Jonathan. I know that you've partaken in the last call in particular, you were very vocal and active in the last call, so really appreciate that. But you are our guest mentor for today, and really happy to have you here. And just by way of background for those that are listening in, after the you are the founder and MD of Allegent Consulting out of Adelaide, Australia. You've been running that particular business, which is really an agency, an e-commerce agency. But you can obviously give your own introduction a little bit in a little bit more detail, but you've been doing that for nearly 14 years now so you've been around in the e-commerce game for a very long time certainly not your first rodeo very experienced you've got a you've got a, I'll, I'll let you talk about the sort of the size and composition of your team and all that sort of stuff for yourself but what we wanted to talk about today really was headless and particularly headless commerce now obviously there's other components to headless there's other ways in which headless can be implemented for other web properties and other web experiences other than e-commerce, but Headless really does get talked about within the context of e-commerce primarily. And so that's really the lens that we're going to be looking at Headless through today. But I'd love to turn it over to you for to introduce yourself, introduce a little bit more about Allegent, what you guys do, how you do it, your team. And then I'd love to open up with a few questions of my own to get things kicked off. And then I'll turn it over to the floor and anyone else can chip in with any questions they've got as well.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate that intro and really excited about uh, what we can discuss today. I think there's some fascinating perceptions and beliefs and hopes and realities for what headless is. And even the term itself is a great starting point. Looking forward to some vigorous debate and uh, hopefully exploring some of those different angles to it and perhaps dispelling a few myths as well. Let's challenge all of those uh, preconceptions. Yeah, as you say, uh, my my experience with web and e-commerce goes back for uh, long enough to make me feel. Little old these days. I was reflecting just last night. I reckon the first sort of catalog driven website that I built was around 1999, maybe 2000, something like that. So, real old school. OS Commerce, if anyone of you is that, was a pretty disastrous tool for clients, but it got us in the game. Since then, obviously, things have evolved. I was really privileged to have a great experience working in North America for an agency where we delivered some pretty groundbreaking sites for Nintendo. Nike, Jenny Craig, that sort of tier of clients, based out of Vancouver, one of the greatest cities in the world, just quietly. And uh, yeah, after that sort of a really formative experience, was uh, able to come back home to Adelaide and kick off with Allegiance. Our philosophy has always been one about helping our clients to succeed and creating long-term relationships between staff and clients. So that's grown pretty organically over the course of, as you say, almost 14 years now to 115 staff. The vast majority of them are based here in, in Adelaide pending a few COVID effects and around 40 significant clients, mostly around Australia and New Zealand, but a few with international links as well. It's been a great journey and one that's brought us into touch with a lot of some of the newer techniques and architectural patterns that we like to explore where we see there's genuine benefit for our clients. So not so much tech for the sake of tech, what business advantage is this going to deliver to those clients? How do we do that in a way that sets them up for long-term success? So hopefully that can and underpin the conversation today.
0: No, thanks very much for the introduction, Jonathan. And yeah, look, I've heard of the great work that you guys have done, and we're exploring an opportunity to do a pretty sizable, chunky project together as we speak at the moment. And look, it's been fantastic being able to liaise with you, being able to talk with your team. Clearly, very technical, clearly, very capable clearly very experienced. This is the kind of people that I love working with in this industry, people that, you know, can put their money where their mouth is. They don't, they're able to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today because of your deep experience in this space and particularly in in the headless environment. And Perhaps before I launch into questions, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the core technologies and platforms that you specialize in and that you work with primarily today, both in terms of the e-commerce platforms, maybe in, in terms of some of the microservices and some of the microservice platforms that you build on top of. Let's maybe just to set the set the groundwork here, what are some of the primary technology platforms that you specialize in and work with today?
1: Yeah. sure, perhaps a disclaimer. I should start with uh, an apologies if I get too technical. So uh, feel free to grab me by the back of the neck and drag me back up at any stage. My background it, it was as a developer, masters of engineering, those sorts of things. So I love understanding how things work and how we can plug them together in ways that are going to be robust and scalable and maintainable and all those sorts of things. But then, yeah, as we said, translating them into business speak. So we'll try to bridge both of those domains today. So let's start with the tech um, And then we can talk about how that can get used our heritage at Allegiant is very much about working with Magento, or as Adobe likes to call it these days, Adobe Commerce, which obviously was that really groundbreaking, innovative open source, extensible and customizable platform back in 2008, 2009. Ironically, how I came across it was that the work I'd been doing in North America was with ATG, which then became Oracle Commerce and was almost the antithesis of a Magento, if you will. It was big, it was expensive. It was closed source. And then Magento came onto the scene and was had a free community edition, which still exists. It was able to be extended in really transparent ways and adapted to suit clients and achieve a much lower to- total cost of ownership. There, however, having a very similar architecture internally that the software engineering patterns are, in fact, it's an open secret that uh, Magento's developers copied the, the uh, software engineering uh, sort of approaches of those big IBM web spheres and ATG uh, e-commerce frameworks of the day. So that served Magento very well with its robustness and its sort of enterprise, all of the attributes you would see of that in an engineered, highly engineered platform so that continues to be important for us and is a key platform for building headless or composable commerce solutions on contrary to popular belief the dinosaur is not yet dead there's a lot of life left in magento and it's can and in fact does deliver extremely performant both in terms of speed but also scalability solutions in a highly a truly composable and headless model so we've got a great deal of faith and we've put a great amount of investment into ensuring that that can be deployed in that sort of composable front end agnostic manner. But equally, we are heavily invested with two other platforms, big commerce, which is much more of the SaaS model as Jason and takes away a lot of the challenges that some merchants have wrestled with around needing to do upgrades and be responsible for a lot more of their maintenance. So there's this real nice balance between the flexibility and customizability that you get with Magento versus the price, the inevitable price that comes without of needing to make sure that you've applied all of the version updates. And then the third tool that we use is Oro Commerce, which less well-known, but it's a B2B specific platform and provides capabilities that really none other platforms in the market can perhaps with the exception of Hybris, but at an extremely different go. Ro allows our merchants to be able to deploy very sophisticated and uh, complex workflows, incredibly granular and specific pricing algorithms for B2B, which is super important. And then again, to be able to be integrated in an API first and quite agnostic manner to, to the rest of a merchant's ecosystem. So fantastic. Uh, they're the sort of the core engines, if you will, of, e- of e-commerce. And then probably moving into what is Composer will mean in the larger sense, putting a, a head onto the headless tools. And as you alluded to, using microservices to augment are the other t- key components. So for us, the head is built using React, which is a JavaScript framework. It's one of probably three primary JavaScript frameworks in the 2020s, Vue and Angular. The Angular is very much dropping away, being the choices there. For a while, the jury was out. Was it going to be React or was it going to be Vue would be the predominant framework. I think it's fair to say that the tribe has spoken and that the speaking conscience has been handed to React. The volume of developers, the volume of organizations using it, the size of the community, and in fact, the investment into React from venture capital and other sources is far outweighing what we see with Vue, which is still technically a very strong choice. But in terms of the scale of the React ecosystem, it's very significant, and that's where we have chosen to go forward with.
0: Awesome. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the background. It's probably worth pointing out that from the Oro perspective, we won't delve too much into the tech beyond this, but the Oro side of things obviously sprang out of Yoav, came from the Magento background. Yoav Kutnerf came from the Magento background. I was in, involved with Magento from the early days as well. Similar to you, worked for a Magento Gold Partner Agency right from the beginning and was worked with OS Commerce. That's how I got my start in the industry as well, very early days. So I think we're both showing our age here, but it's interesting how when Yoav left the Magento ecosystem, system, he decided to start another open source platform in Oro, which started out as a CRM and then expanded to add commerce features over time. And so I think if we talk about the context first of how software has evolved in terms of software delivery, I think that's a really foundational component of talking about headless. And before we get into the pros and the cons, the challenges, the opportunities, Before we do that, I think it's important to lay the groundwork of how Headless has evolved through the lens of software delivery and how software went from this mostly on-premise back in the early days of e-commerce and back in the early days, even of content management platforms and content management systems, they were almost universally delivered via on-premise delivery. And what that means is you'd license the technology, you would install the software, you would download the software from the vendor. You would then install that software on servers, typically that you would either have, you'd set up a a server in-house to house and run that software, or you would install it in infrastructure that was co-located in a data center, perhaps in a a multi-tenant environment where you are sharing resources with other tenants on that environment. But really, at the end of the day, you were responsible for the infrastructure, the hosting, the upgrades, the maintenance, the patching the security, pretty much everything to do with maintaining that piece of software from a hosting and infrastructure perspective, that was your responsibility. And so when we say on-premise software, we're not necessarily saying on-premise at your office, but it's on-premise, meaning on your infrastructure, whether you've leased that infrastructure from an infrastructure provider or established it yourself by buying servers and establishing them. That was for many years, that was the standard way that software was delivered for e-commerce. Then we had a pretty significant change when the likes of BigCommerce and Shopify started to gain ground in the marketplace, mainly around simplicity, mainly around the ease of getting a website up and running on those platforms. The much lower initial TCO, absolutely, without a doubt, and certainly one could argue that over the long term, they also have a lower TCO. And But they were really predicated and sold themselves very heavily on the ease of getting up and running on those platforms. So software as a service delivered by the vendor on their infrastructure, their hosting, they secure it, they provide the PCI compliance, they provide the scalability. But the I guess the downside of that, if there is one, is the fact that you don't have access to the underlying servers and you don't have access to the underlying code. So there are limitations in the way that you can modify that software. There's limitations in the way that you can interact with that software. And so those two pieces of software delivery are important to the headless discussion because or I believe that, that that is important to clarify because in a headless environment, we're moving back towards, in some respects, we're moving back towards an on-premise solution. So we for at least components of the solution, they are we're moving back towards a more on-premise model as opposed to a pure SaaS model. Now With those modern SaaS platforms, the likes of the big commerces and the Shopify, we have, at least in their monolithic deployment models, the vendor provides the front end. So they provide the front end framework they provide the stenciling and the theming framework for all of the ux and the ui components that a customer accesses through the front end and they provide the back end admin components they provide the back end admin ui they provide all the databases they provide the catalog engine they provide the promotional engine they provide absolutely everything you need to do the plumbing all out of the box you know for a monthly fee that allows you to set up establish and run an e-commerce website and store and the storefront components now, in the on-premise model, that also in the in a monolithic deployment model, the monoliths, they provide the front end the theming framework and they provide the back end model. They provide all of the admin functionality and they provide the underlying software as a package that can be installed on the server so that you can serve up both the front end and the back end. Now, I guess when we start thinking about the modern headless approach, and some people call it composable, but I don't like the composable terminology because commerce has always been composable in the sense that, you know, most brands, even larger brands in a monolithic front-end deployment model, they will have a separate system for their ERP. They'll have a separate system for their point of sale. They'll have a separate system for their WMS and their OMS. They'll have a separate system for PIM and CDP. So in that sense, commerce through my lens anyway, and I've been doing this for over 20 years and you've been doing it even longer, commerce has always been composable because mm. there is no single system on the planet today that can do all of those things enough that they can fill all of the gaps in the commerce stack from a, at least from a technology perspective. So in that sense, commerce has always been composable, but it hasn't always been headless. And I think that making that distinction is pretty important to the discussion because I think that there's a lot of people in the industry who are trying to conflate that terminology to try to bring more weight to the headless discussion when in fact, commerce has always been composable from my perspective.
1: Yes, I hear what you're saying. And I think in, I certainly agree that there is no one single suite or stack that can uh, support all of the operations of a merchant. So in terms of, you, you know, certainly back in the day, people used to try to use Magento as their POS and try to use Magento as their WMS for pick and pack and all those sorts of things. And uh, you could, but just because you could doesn't mean you should. So and we see that still with Neto and other um, platforms that attempt. And I think Shopify is heading in some of that direction as well with some of their acquisitions and consolidation around uh, shipping uh, and and their very close partnerships slash acquisitions with some of the third-party tools. But going way back to what you said right at the start of this particular section about the importance of openness, I think that's a key distinction for merchants these days is finding tools that are designed and not just tolerate playing well with others but are actively designed to play well with others. And if we want to use composable to mean that, then Absolutely, it is something that good software architecture in the commerce space has always done. I think one subtle distinction, if we can, not wanting to play semantics, but I think it it is different, is the way in which data and or functionality is able to be exposed directly to the end consumer. So historically, the monolith was responsible for rendering the entire user experience layer. And so whilst there may well be data that is provided from, say, a warehouse management system or order management system about inventory levels, in order to present that to the customer, it needed to be pushed into the database of the commerce platform and then rendered out through the templates of the commerce platform. The difference with a headless model when it's deployed in a composable way, is that you can decouple that and bypass that choke point, if you will, so that the you don't have multiple hops in the transmission of data and therefore an in, inevitable latency and also an inevitable performance load on that commerce back end. So I've actually got a couple of little graphics that might help if I can bring that pop bring these up on screen.
0: Absolutely. Go ahead and share those. And while you're pulling those up, I think in order to further set the groundwork before you show some of those models and design patterns that I think you're probably going to show, I think just to set the groundwork, when we start talking about headless, and as we dive into this a little bit further, for the purposes of this discussion, I'll keep it narrowed down to the concept of headless commerce. And what we mean by that is simply, and there's many ways to achieve this, but when we think of it conceptually, it is all about extracting out. The front-end display layer that the customer interacts with, so the user experience interface that the customer interacts with versus the back-end systems that provide data and and experiences via that front-end layer to the consumer. And having those be two separate and distinct systems that usually share data with each other via APIs as opposed to monolithic. And when we say monolithic, for those that don't understand the term monolithic, what we say is the Shopify's and the big commerces and even the Magento's of the world out of the box, they provide both the front end and the back end layer together as a single unified package. And so when we think about moving from that monolithic, more traditional way of delivering the front end experience to perhaps what some would call a more modern headless experience, with that front-end extrapolated out, it allows us to build or use different front-end technologies with separate and different back-end technologies. And so that, when we talk about headless in a commerce context, that is what we're referring to. And I think your diagrams will probably help explain that a little bit further.
1: Uh, That's the aim. Okay. Big picture, what I might just do. Let me share this screen first. Oh, I think you need to enable screen sharing.
0: Okay. Just, I think you have
1: to... I think maybe if you make me a co-host that will allow me to screen share.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Let me just figure out how to do that. I do I actually. Advanced sharing options. Oh, there we go. Let me just make that all. Okay, I've made it all participants can share. So you should be able to share now. There we go. Beauty.
1: Cool. All right. This is a little graphic that we've used for a little while now, courtesy of Forrester, so credit where it's due. What I like about this is it summarizes in one view all of the things that a merchant needs to take care of it's quite a lot. So when you consider the consumer sees the tip of the iceberg being my homepage and a listing page and a checkout and all that sort of stuff, these are all the various different capabilities, if you will, that a merchant needs to be on top of to deliver a really great customer experience. So obviously it's a little out of date here in terms of a vending machine. I'm not sure that's what we'd call it these days, but the point stands is there's multiple different form factors in which a, a consumer can access a commerce experience. And then you need this the intersection of the classic card and checkout, which has been populated with product data and then put together into a created a really compa- compelling aesthetic experience, ideally that's been personalized, that's going to translate into a really <laughs> intuitive purchase journey. And then ultimately an order that gets placed and gets translated down into those back office systems to be able to deliver it. This- Sorry to interrupt,
0: Jonathan. What I'll yeah. do is what I'll, what I'll say for those that are just listening and can't actually see the screen, I'll just describe very high level what we're seeing on the screen here. So at the very bottom of the diagram we're seeing the business systems that 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 run the operational side of the business we're seeing things like erp crm business intelligence Uh, point of sale, merchandising, warehouse management. We're seeing those core business systems that operationally run the business from a financial perspective and from a fulfillment perspective. Then in the middle of the screen, we're seeing the commerce suite or the commerce hub or the commerce engine. And that includes all aspects of commerce, whether that be the catalog management, the cart and checkout, the experience management, the order management pieces. At the very top of the diagram, we're seeing the touch points or the channels That a customer would typically engage with our business through, whether that be tablet, mobile, web, social, physical stores, contact centers, etc. So that's really what we're seeing on the screen here is commerce in the middle, business systems at the bottom, and touch points at the top of the screen. Cool. Thanks, Jason.
1: Okay, so that gives us a little bit of context of, so all of the things within that central circle, really what is going to influence the end consumer's experience, right? We're going to present information up to them out of this core capability. So how do we actually bring together the various different functionality to do that? And a bit of jargon busting, we've heard the terms monolith and headless and all of these things. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about the glass. What is the glass? That's what you're presenting to the customer. And is it, where does the CMS fit into this as well so historically there's been this monolith which is the one system to rule them all so that plugs into those back office systems around product and inventory fulfillment and in fact content management asset management and it's responsible for rendering that experience for all of their consumers no matter who they are or how they're coming into the device for into the experience the challenge with that is in order to deliver on that and these are these points refer to magento specifically but you need to have commerce engineers software engineers yeah. that's a very long and arduous training period for us as an agency it used to be anything up to six months before we would be able to have a developer who was productive and enabling to to deploy code into a client's environment that's a real issue and it also comes with overhead for the merchant around pci anytime you want to make a change in the ui you have to go through a full regression test which means full security testing and all of those sorts of things so hence why that's these days seen as a depred or a much more expensive way of running things. One of the approaches that was introduced was what's called commerce-led, where you might put a commerce management system, sorry, content management system in front of that and that decouples. So you don't need to have an e-commerce engineer to make your changes, but you still need to have someone who's very familiar with the CMS and has its own limitations, in fact. So what's been proposed and Gartner were the ones who first put forward this phrase of composable commerce is about being able to use what they call package business compatibilities capabilities so rather than having this the one monolith to rule them all which was responsible for all of the things on one end of the spectrum through to this really fragmented incoherent set of services and we do see this to some extent with some of those very tightly locked down SaaS platforms so shopify in particular where you might have one system and then there yes there's hundreds of different apps in the app stores but none of them know about the existence of each other. And so you get this very fragmented experience where your fulfillment system doesn't know about your loyalty add-on, So you can't give free express shipping to your VOP customer because not aware of the existence of each other. Whereas so this middle ground is what Garten describes as these pa- packaged business capabilities, which are a bounded collection of capabilities, APIs, and obviously data associated with those to be able to bring them together to create something. Now, can I share this video? Because it's... It's funny. It's probably not going to translate too well on the podcast, so maybe maybe we can send a link to it as the uh, Yeah, the I'll put, put the can...
0: link in the uh, I'll put the link in the podcast description, but I think just before you move on, yeah. I think that there's one caveat to what you said before about those apps that don't necessarily talk to each other and know about each other, so therefore they don't they're not as interoperable maybe and share data as interoperably as we would like. That isn't always the case. So there are major apps that intentionally integrate with one another right. so that they can enhance and extend each Others' functionality as part of the core platform. So, in the case of a loyalty platform, maybe it integrates with a Gorgeous, maybe it integrates with a Clavio, maybe it. So, there are certain very popular apps and components of the ecosystem that have been designed specifically to integrate to one another in a homogeneous semi-whole. So, it isn't always the case that your apps don't share data with each other and don't talk to each other and don't work seamlessly together.
1: I think the takeaway there is to choose carefully and to ask the questions as to where where does my data live? How do I get data in and out of this system? Is it designed to be play nice with others? And there are already some pre-existing integrations because if you, and we're certainly hearing this quite a lot, if that hasn't been considered before diving in on just choosing what appears on face value to be the best app in the app store, then you may get yourself into a situation which extremely frustrating, as a merchant user and quite inconsistent for the consumer. It's getting that balance of functionality versus the ability to have a true picture of the whole customer's interactions with you.
0: Absolutely. Yep. But I understand also the concept of these packaged business capabilities so that components within the stack own certain responsibilities as part of the whole.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. So I'll skip past the video. Whoops. Sorry.
0: That was supposed to skip.
1: Are you familiar with Mac Alliance? Is it worth spending a moment or two talking about the Mac Alliance? Because I think this always comes up in a headless conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's worthwhile. And I've got my own sense and feel on the Mac Alliance. I think that or the mock Alliance, I think is how they pronounce it. But I'll let you explain briefly what it is. And then I'll give you my take on how they've been active in the community and the pros and cons of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the MAC Alliance has been pulled together in in recent years as a nominally independent alliance of various different vendors that are looking to promote an approach or a pattern which represents what is the best of this decoupled and headless or composable approach. So MAC stands for microservices, API driven, cloud native and headless. So the point of those keywords is that for a solution to be considered compliant or in line with the philosophy of Mark is that you would be using all of those sorts of things. So microservices in the sense that you have capabilities that can be independently scaled and consumed without being forced into using all of the other functionality that might be with a sort of bite-sized pieces of functionality, API driven. So we're not sending files of FTP and all of those sorts of crazy old ways of getting data around. So everything that you can do in user interface, an admin user interface can be operated through an API, ideally would be API first, cloud hosted to get away from that old on-prem, as you pointed out before, Jason, having all of the challenges around security and scalability completely abstracted away, which is certainly table stakes for e-commerce these days and headless. So they're agnostic as to what the front end user interface looks like. In terms of your core commerce tools, there's three main vendors that are members of the mac alliance commerce tools VTEX, and big commerce and then some of the other components that go into that round diagram we looked at before around product information management order management and content management akinio fluent commerce contentful and content Stack are some of the better known participants in that area what does that look like graphically i'll try and describe that to this for people on the podcast is that it, it we have a front end layer which is able to provide that coherent and really differentiated experience for the merchants, consumers. And then that front end can access in this diagram up to, gee, how good's my math? So I think 10 different, yeah, let's go with 10, 10 different package business capabilities within through an API layer, sometimes known as a mesh. And the point of that mesh is that the front end doesn't know or care where its functionality and data is coming from. So all the front end knows is that it needs to have a list of products, know what their prices are, know what their in-stock status is, and are there any associated promotional campaigns? Are there any videos that can go along with this? And is there any particular offer that's associated with this for this customer? Because Jason is one of our VIP customers. So the front end sends a single request using a technology called GraphQL through this API layer, which... which then is routed to one or many different systems that can service that request. And so can talk about the loyalty status, can talk about the inventory status and can talk about content, all of which are associated to that one query rather than historically everything having to be dumped into the monolith and the monolith having to resolve all of those things itself and then present that up to the customer. Does that make sense in terms of a description and a flow?
0: absolutely i think again just to describe visually what we're seeing here again very similar to that other to that other diagram but we've effectively got the front end experience layer that the customer would interact with usually digitally but it could be any kind of front end experience it could be a kiosk in store it could be literally the point of sale experience it could be almost any experience that we choose to expose to the customer either via an intermediary person standing there or directly. And then in the middle, we've got these various decoupled operational systems for commerce specifically that will pull in content, will pull in product data, catalog data, promotional data, data, payment data, et cetera, et cetera, and expose that through the front end. And then underneath that, again, we're seeing some of the other operational systems. So we're seeing product information management systems, order management systems, digital asset management, customer data systems. And then at the base of it all, we're seeing the core operational systems like ERPs and financial backend systems. And so we're really seeing this further extrapolation of systems and components. So what we would traditionally see in a quote unquote monolithic way, where we have kind of 10 boxes in the middle of your diagram here to expose each of those independent commerce and content functions through the front end, where we would normally see one box there perhaps with one vendor, one provider, We now see 10 boxes there. And I think that's the key difference in the headless model that the best of breed commerce and content components and solutions can be gathered together through that API connectivity layer to surface that data at the appropriate time and in the appropriate place of the experience when it's requested
1: and, and a really key thing, and this is one of the areas where we start to have some perhaps contention with what some members of the Mac Alliance would say, is that you are not forced to go all in on this approach. So this can be really intimidating to think, oh my goodness, I'm going to need 10 different systems to be able to manage my search and merge, to deal with my CMS and loyalty and all of those sorts of things. This is a an indicative roadmap that merchants can get to when and if they are ready and or the maturity of their organization is at that point or the consumer experience demands it. If you don't need a loyalty program, um, I was going to say because you're B2B, but that's an oversimplification. Loyalty is still a thing in B2B, but anyway, <laughs> it just looks different to your consumer loyalty. But if your content management, for example, every single one of the standard commerce tools provides a page builder drag and drop like experience for content management, and that's totally fine as a starting point. unless you want to differentiate on content and you've got really sophisticated layouts, you want to get hyper-personalized and all of those sorts of things, when and if you're ready, you can plug in a sophisticated headless CMS like a content stack or a Prismic or, or whatever it is like that, but you're not compelled to. So this pattern absolutely can be deployed incrementally. You can start on this with your current architecture, pretty much all of your standard platforms, certainly Magento, BigCommerce, Shopify are all capable of deploying in this model and then incrementally adding in those best of breed,
0: best fit for purpose for
1: your organization
0: capabilities when you're ready. And what we've also seen just to follow up on that is that in some headless systems instead of so let's say you do start breaking out some of those functionalities with other systems that are independent of the core commerce system and platform sometimes you can plug some of those other third party systems directly into the commerce platform itself, as opposed to exposing that data directly to the headless front-end layer as a stepping stone to and a rapid deployment model, because oftentimes those other third-party systems have out-of-the-box integrations with the core commerce platform that make it easier and faster to deploy them in conjunction with the commerce platform and then uh, expose those via the core commerce platform to the front-end as opposed to exposing them independently as a microservice to the front end. So I think the key point, and this is once again getting quite technical, but I think the key overarching idea here is that it's there's no one-size-fits-all approach to this, and that as a stepping stone model, you don't have to go completely decentralized. You don't have to go completely granular on every single component of functionality. You can employ them in groups and blocks that make sense for your business, both commercially and in terms of a timeline to deployment and timeline to integration and timeline to live. I think that you know when we start thinking about what we consider an MVP or a minimum viable product to get live in a headless approach, sometimes what that means is that those 10 boxes in the middle might only actually be three boxes in the middle instead of 10 for the initial launch. And then you can... Slowly, like an onion, you can peel away some of those additional layers and separate them out into different services as and when it makes sense for the business. So it's not a, it's not a, a I guess, a, you've got to be all in on, on this decentralized, fragmented, headless model, or you don't do it at all. I think there's a stepping stone approach that can be taken here that can make sense for a lot more merchants than that boots and all model that is sometimes makes project timelines excessively long and also the project overall overly complex and costly. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And take the time to develop that business roadmap around your capabilities and then what the best fit is going to be, but also to consider the data planning. Choosing the service is one part of how to enrich your capability of making sure, as we've said before, that you not only understand what data needs to go in what directions, but what are the what's the plumbing that you're going to put in place to support that? Because that needs to be scalable and able to transform data between different I
0: think that I think sorry, I think you make a very good point there. And I'm going to give you a tangible example. So even if you start out with only three boxes in the middle, as opposed to the 10 boxes in the middle, Mm -hmm. and you might, for example, have a third party loyalty platform that integrates natively with your commerce platform via an app, for example, and then it, that data is then immediately exposable via the commerce API layer if you choose that loyalty platform based on its standalone capabilities as well so you take that it take its capabilities into account if it can only integrate with those commerce platforms using out of the box integrations, then that may not be the best choice with a view to the future of decoupling that further and exposing that data that comes from that standalone platform via APIs. So what we mean by that is choose carefully, even if you think of breaking that down only to three blocks in the middle, if you're going to choose apps that plug into the core system and then expose to the front end through that core system, try to be think about, okay, if we were to decouple this further in the future, do those independent components have their own APIs, for example, that allow easy decoupling without having to replatform that component? So I don't necessarily want to replatform my loyalty platform in the future when I decide to decouple it from the commerce platform. So if I choose a platform today for loyalty, that can either plug directly into my commerce platform or be used completely independently via API, then that's probably a better choice versus a loyalty platform that can only plug into my commerce platform.
1: So I just wanted to spend a couple, I'm conscious of time. I want to allow some time for questions, but I did want to also bring this up again to a business level as to why would you do this? And particularly if as what we're saying is you could get started just by doing the decoupling of the front end. I'm going to just bring up a couple of little screenshots that uh, demonstrate why. Some of you may recognize this layout. This Mm -hmm. is a report from Google PageSpeed. So one of the key factors is widely known of your SEO ranking is not just the content on the page, but the speed of of the website and the associated user experience. So we can ask Googlebot to go and look at one of the sites that we've built. This is an example of a headless PWA as it's called for an Australian power tools retailer. The scores, as you can see, range from zero to hundred. Typically for e-commerce stores, you would be happy to have something in the forties or fifties. Now with the way that the headless architecture allows us to optimize for Google, this is using a thing called dynamic rendering. You can see we're scoring 99 out of 100 for the the google pop page speed which is just extra so that does have a direct impact on SEO rankings that's not a step change overnight it's something that builds over time to be clear but uh, is a really significant factor and then a similar one and i love this graphic because you can put it in front of the board and the board gets very excited so i'll just call out for people who can't see the screen this is another of our clients that's been built in a headless way Katmandu and you can see the score here that they've got is 87 now the difference difference Here is that the 99 on the previous was purely for Googlebot. We can optimize for Googlebot. This is real world scores of customers, and these scores are reported back using Chrome browser. So basically, tens of thousands of customers, Chrome reports back to Google. What are the scores in terms of customer experience that real world users are finding? So extraordinarily high at 87. We're so close to getting it into the 90s. We've got a couple of optimizations that are about to be deployed to bring that forward. But what's really interesting. interesting. Interesting is that on the right hand side of this graphic, we can compare the performance against their competitors. So if we look for SEO keywords of women's fleece jacket, just as an example, for this particular page, the competitors are Anaconda, Uniqlo, Mount, North Face, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see this, the performance scores that they are achieving comparably are 19, 12, 23, 31 from a performance and customer experience point of view, absolutely destroying the competition, which is we don't like to get too competitive, but obviously that's a great indication of what the investment in building out an optimized decoupled front end can deliver for customer experience as well as these business benefits around being able to plug in
0: best of breed when your business is ready yeah and just just to clarify what's sorry you go ahead you go ahead gareth and then i'll clarify what we're seeing just an aside because at the moment
2: i'm kind of the least technical person here but i'm looking at core web vitals and bringing on datadog to help our web performance and understand the areas what have you actually used to do that comparison yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the, the headless part because ultimately we've got a very similar challenge where I'm trying to firstly let's identify where the issues are and the opportunities and then we start talking solutions and that's where I'll get to okay. yep. where so, we go for headless. But I was just curious, I'm familiar with this type of layout. I've used web vitals before, but where you've actually got the ability to compare your competitors.
1: Yeah, this is a really nice tool. It's from a, it's a UK agency called Redico, R-E-D-I-C-O, And so they've put together this little comparison that it's all public data. So anyone could do this, but basically
0: they've just. Hello. Sorry, I think we lost sorry, your
1: audio. Yeah, uh, you sorry, my, my phone rang and uh, interrupted my headset. <laughs> okay, uh, sorry. So Reddit, it's all public data. They've just aggregated search rankings. So find the top ten results for women's fleece jacket, and then go and extract the Google Page Speed, Real World Core Vital score for each of those ten top ranking URLs. There's nothing that they are doing in terms of assessing the performance themselves. They're aggregating Google's page speed scores for yep. each of the top 10 results for that particular keyword. So I can drop a link in, Jason, you can share it with the notes of the podcast if you like, if you like, but yeah, kudos yes, to, uh, to Redico.
0: that will be great. Yeah, I'd be very happy to do that.
1: Cool. That's enough screen sharing. Sorry, I, I got a little heavy with the slideware there, but hopefully it helped explain some of the concepts. So Gareth, did you have any other questions or, or Jason, anything that you wanted to bring up? No, but- no I
0: th- look, I think I covered it. So I'll turn it over to Gareth and, and anyone else that wants to shout the questions out. Oh, look, for me I'm still getting my head around
2: headless and what that means and what our stack is at the moment we're using a company called Commerce Vision which is a CMS platform it's closed it's got good ERP integration and then we have things like plugins for personalization search which is one that they use but it's it's a little lacking or wanting and instead of having a PIM we've got a an MDM set up which we've recently got with Stevo so obviously that that would put in things their product images the lot so it's pretty beastly and a lot of this stuff is new so i'm just getting my head around okay we're not quite what i'd call headless but we do already have some of these tools that are plugging in so it's a case of where we move on from here it is it's what's the difference between what i've just described versus headless i know our personalization platform being talks to our site, we're, we're not quite at the point where the MDM is talking to the site because we've literally, it's only just been built or configured. The site search talks to the site, but I don't believe that we've got fully integrated data into our CRM because we use Salesforce CRM. So none of that actually talks directly. Obviously, when a customer logs in, it brings up their pricing, their catalogs, etc., etc., but it doesn't bring in the CRM. So I don't feel we're, whilst we might have some of those aspects of headless, we're not headless because it's not real-time integration.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the technical difference or de- definition is that the what it is that your end consumer sees is not necessarily created by Commerce Vision. That platform, yes, it's integrated into Kibo and it's integrated into your MDM systems, but ultimately it's still the one that sort of pulls all, all of that data ends up in its database and then it's responsible using templates to create the, the HTML that ultimately gets sent over the wire per se. So in, in a headless model, if the head that you're talking about, because it, sure, you can have a headless backend, but you're still going to have to have one or more heads, which may be a native app that goes into the Apple App Store, or it may be a, a kiosk, or it may be a traditional website. The most common head in, in a headless commerce environment is to have this JavaScript-based, what's called client-side rendering, where Either Vue or React typically will get loaded into the browser, so the customer's phone or the desktop. But none of that comes with the actual layout or content that's going to be presented on the page. All of the all that goes up and down between the browser and your commerce server are requests for data. And then that head is responsible for doing all of the layout. And that's how you're able to achieve those pretty extraordinary customer performance scores. Because when you have this older style model where everything's rendered on the server, the browser has to send off that request. And there's inherently a latency while you're waiting for the whole page to come back. And then you navigate and you go from a listing page to a product detail page. And again, you send off the request and the whole page comes back. And you know what? 80% of the stuff that comes back is the same as what was on the previous page, sometimes more. And so it's extremely inefficient that you're sending a lot of the scaffolding or the skeleton of the page over and over again. And you also can't do any personalization. So if you want to show Gareth a different page to Jason, you can't use some of the acceleration techniques around full page caching to try to speed that up because then everyone gets the same thing. So it's a much more efficient way of getting data in front of the customer. And it also means that you can do things within the browser whilst you are waiting for data to come back from the server that give the perception of performance. And the perception of performance is from a consumer point of view, more important than actuality of performance. And Google is looking for that as well. It it provides a lot more capability to improve that consumer experience, as well as those other things we've talked about being plug-in best of breed when your business is ready for it.
0: Now, I've got a question for you, Gareth. In your environment, is Commerce Vision providing the back-end and the front-end, or is Kibo providing the front-end, or are you only using Kibo for the order management function, and Commerce Vision is actually providing the back-end commerce functionality and the theme layer, the storefront layer?
2: This is where, as a marketer and a digital marketer, I get to the very edge of some of my my technical aspects of it because I'm not uh, across all of it, but Commerce Vision provide us with the e-commerce platform that's very much integrated into our our erp system in terms of what kibo does that drops it as a layer so it's a it used to be called monotape but essentially it's a personalization tool that we would use we're not using it as as much as i'd like to but for example if you were doing a targeted page and you got three versions of it for example it just it, it loads the page and then it puts the customized layer onto it if you're loading async there's a bit of a flicker Sorry, the other way around. If you load it sync, there's a bit of a flicker. So literally it loads what is the CMS version of the page and then straight away it loads the personalized version of it. So one goes on top of the other. So it's not as seamless. And we certainly got challenges. And I suspect when we do our work with Datadog, we find that it's the JavaScript theming that is really slowing things down. When I started looking, okay, hey, here's our sort of our scores from a core web vitals point of view i'm seeing it again it's not fast i'm pretty sure it is to do with the javascript here guys but i just want to get yeah. right down to the level of detail that i need to be again we need to make a change here yeah um, but that's we, where we have gets, had some, sorry uh, that's where it gets to but then you want to change the actual core part of the, the platform but that's going to cost lots of money or we're not going to do that and that's where i'm going okay how do we sidestep this one
1: yeah, we've had some experience with Commerce Vision in the past. I don't is want to speak good? on their behalf because we're not experienced with it. Look, it has a, the, its strongest capability is its pre-built integration with ERP, particularly with Pronto. Are you on Which Pronto? is what we or, use, yeah. Yeah. So if you're on Pronto, they have a secret backdoor into Pronto that no one else gets to use. Everyone else has to go through Pronto's API layer called Avenue. That's because they're
2: all ex-Pronto developers.
1: Yep. And that is that's commerce vision strength. What you're seeing in terms of the experience is what it's certainly a traditional template. So, what I talked about before about the request response cycle, where the browser has to send a request to the server, it sends back the entirety of the page, and that takes time, generally anything up to half a second if it's fast or slower than that if it's not fast. And then, after that half a second, it then starts running the JavaScript, and then the browser has to do all of the computation to interpret the JavaScript, and then the JavaScript tells it, oh, now you need to head off to Kibo and get a different version of this page. Oh, okay, no worries. Off I trundle off to Kibo, and then that comes back, and that's another few hundred milliseconds before it gets there, the version of the page. The key difference with headless is that you take out that initial request-response cycle to get all of that scaffolding, which ultimately you're going to throw away anyway when Kibo gives you a new version of the page. So there's minimum half a second that is, to be blunt, a complete waste of everybody's time because you've got to get that old school templated HTML before you can even start executing Kibo's
2: JavaScript. Yes. Yeah. Um, we're literally, I'm just getting things in the process at the moment. I've set up with Datadog. We're working with agency partner on setting up some of that. The intent be, we need to improve the web performance around things like speed and that type of thing. And I suspect it's going to tell me what I already know, but in a lot more detail and there'd be no escaping it. And that's where we get into, we need to start looking at solutions now. And I'm jumping down a few steps before we've got that information. Hence, why I'm more interested in this than anything. It's a competitive industry that we're in. Anything that we can do to improve either the experience and ultimately the conversion and our ranking is something I'm very interested in.
1: The key question for Commerce Vision, and I don't know the answer to this, is whether they are able to expose a customer-facing front-end API. No doubt they have a back-end API, but the customer-facing, ideally GraphQL API, is the modern mechanism for being able to render this headless mode. And that's where you could take out that unnecessary round trip and just have the JavaScript execute initially.
2: Okay.
0: And I think it's worth pointing out, again, this gets quite technical, but I think versus you can still create a headless experience even if uh, a particular commerce or CMS platform doesn't offer GraphQL, you can usually through the existing API layer you can even if it's even if it's technically just an AP, an admin API layer where you can go in and you can request catalog items and you can request customer details, etc cetera, etc. Cetera, you may not be able to do it as granularly as you could with GraphQL, but you can usually, grab a whole bunch of data via an API endpoint, grab what you need, and then jettison the rest and then surface that through a headless front-end experience. But to your point, Jonathan, I think what we're talking about here, that is what further differentiates what I would consider a native, fully featured, headless commerce back-end platform, whether it be commerce or content. It is the nature of being able to grab content and data in a granular way as and when needed, and in a very lightweight way, because you're now, instead of grabbing a whole entire JSON response, for example, and ditching 95% of the data that comes through and only exposing what you want, being able to request only what you want and need at the right and appropriate time, That is what makes some of those backend systems that you referred to in the beginning, the big commerces of the world, the VTexes of the world, even to a uh, a degree, the Shopify's of the world, they have built their platforms, at least latterly, they have layered on graph graph query layer, graph, graph query language, they have layered that onto their systems in such a way that you can request that granular data specifically for a headless type environment.
1: And I'm going to have to wave the Magento flag there, Jason. I'm sorry, because Magento was ahead of all four of those. Uh, yes. So Magento first exposed GraphQL in 2019, but somehow still has this perception of being a laggard in this industry. That's it's really uh, fair to call that out. Yeah, but th- you're exactly right. Those backend APIs, the RESTful APIs are designed for bulk changes. They're designed and that they're, they're not designed to be really performant nor scalable. In a merchant website of significant size, you're dealing with thousands, tens of thousands, of concurrent requests from customers of a very small nature that that rapid fire granular request is a very different architecture to having a one or two erps or pims that are going to send a bulk of data a few times an hour it's you definitely need to have
0: built for that properly Absolutely. Mark or anyone else, did we have any other specific questions? I'm aware that we're, we've run over time a little bit. I'm okay that, that we've run over time a little bit, but, I'm, but I am conscious of the time. Are there any other specific questions we've got for Jonathan around headless architecture, headless environments, specific headless platforms, pros, cons? Anything like that you think would be useful both to you as well as to the broader audience who may have similar questions? Not from my side. Thank you. It was all actually very interesting, but also very technical. So a
1: little bit above my pay grade. So I'll have to I'll have to circle back and do a bit of reading, but it was certainly
2: interesting listening. Thanks, Mark. Anything thank you more myself. from your
0: side? You're good, Gareth.
2: Uh, I look, you know, like Mark, from a technical point of view, it is in the stratosphere of my knowledge, it is. So I've got more reading I need to do, but it was certainly really beneficial, really insightful. So thank you, Jonathan, because it does tie into some of the challenges that we're, or I'm faced with at the moment. So yes, very helpful. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and I think, Jonathan, I think it's worth pointing out that just before we finish off here, I think it is worth being transparent and I think it's worth being honest. I've been pretty anti-headless for a pretty long time for most merchant deployments. Vast majority of the merchants that I work with, they have so much more low-hanging fruit before they ever would that last squeeze of the juice to really extract that maximum performance out of a web experience and a digital experience. When you get to headless, that's really where you're getting that last 10, maybe 20% of experience out of that. And obviously what you've shown there in terms of search rankings, et cetera, absolutely massive impact there. But I think that there is oftentimes just by moving to a more modern monolithic platform than mm-hmm. some of the legacy platforms that a lot of people have been on for years and years, oftentimes just by moving to a Shopify or a BigCommerce or a VTEX or any modern SaaS platform monolithically, using their front end storefront layer and using their back end and using some of the out of the box themes with some customization associated with it and exposing custom functionality and custom logic through the front end, oftentimes merchants can dramatically improve the customer experience Just by doing that as a first step, and it's relatively fast to deploy, it's relatively inexpensive compared to a full, decentralized, granular, headless deployment, which will absolutely, even if you, instead of having 10 blocks in the middle, if you only have three, it's still going to take you, it's longer to build, it's more complex to develop, and it it will take longer for you to get live than a monolithic, out-of-the-box deployment of a Shopify, BigCommerce, or VTech. So I think it's worth being transparent and honest about this, that there are some additional costs. They're both OPEX and CAPEX when you go to a headless environment. And I think that's where you have to have a tremendous amount of trust in your consultant and or your agency in order for you to be able to articulate your requirements and your needs as a brand and be able to prioritize those and see how a headless solution may or may not fit into that prioritization and that roadmap in the short term, but it may in the long term. And that's where having someone that really understands business needs and business deliverables and being able to translate that into a a relevant technical solution And then also a process solution, because oftentimes you have to introduce new processes into the environment at the same time you introduce new technology. You have to have someone that can speak the technical language, but can also speak to the business need. And I think that's a really important point to to make just as we close off here. 100%.
1: 100%. And I think the you're right, the adoption curve, if you will, the hype cycle of headless is still relatively early. But what's reassuring is those results are certainly speaking for themselves. And the other thing I could have called out, and these are, again, public numbers, a number of our clients are publicly traded, published their results, so I can speak about them. Kathmandu, for example, have reported a 46%, 46% year-on-year return since implementing a headless solution in their online revenue. Retail apparel group, up 26% and that was only for uh, one of their five brands. So, you know, very significant increases in revenue, which ultimately is what those clients are looking to achieve. To your point about uh, timeliness and cost, what's starting to really mature is the accelerators, if you will, for headless front ends. So there's a variety of them available. Next.js have their Next Commerce, Vue Storefront is gaining a lot of momentum. Gatsby uh, has some interesting deployments and a lot of the agencies are still. Sort of included, have created accelerators, which provide you really rapid time to market. We're talking about three months for standard e-com to deploy on a net new build with a headless front end, depending on requirements, obviously caveat supply. The momentum behind this as a pattern is very strong and the investment is coming both for tooling and for agencies to get on board or get left behind. From our point of view, it was middle of 2020 that we said we're all in on headless. We will not do new any new builds that are not headless as of middle of 2020, that it's it, the ch- benefits to our development team in terms of their productivity, efficiency, and just quality of life. Extraordinary. And that translates very much into the client outcomes as well. But uh, again, to reinforce what you've said, it it needs to be in the context of a deep understanding of what the business is trying to achieve over the next three to five years and uh, having those sophisticated, informed conversations.
0: And one final thing, one final note I'll make is that the, I think that headless adoption will see a skyrocketing effect once the native SaaS platforms go headless on their own architecture which is actually starting to happen Shopify being a notable first cab off the rank where they're coming out with hydrogen and oxygen whereby they're splitting out their back end and their front end and they're hosting their own headless front ends now at effectively no extra charge and so They are going headless on their own platform architecture as well, completely separating out the theming engine and the front-end hosting environment from the back-end and doing everything themselves in their reference architecture, their reference theme front-ends. They are doing all of the plumbing via that GraphQL API so that you can do those rapid deployments that you were talking about, but in a headless way. And I think that once the other major platforms go that direction as well and basically standardize on their own headless architecture then that's when pretty much the whole world moves en masse to headless all right so just every new and deployment on those platforms will be headless
1: and same, Commerce Tools has just acquired a, a templating system for front end, so that will become available for anyone who chooses Commerce Tools. Adobe has said that they are effectively deprecating template development, so no new features will be deployed into the old school Loomer, as it used to be called. Everything is now in their supplied a headless template called Venia, and/or via microservices. This pattern is yeah, Shopify and, and Big Commerce also has their I forget what it's called, Big Design. So yeah, all of the platforms either have been for a little while or now just announcing it in Shopify's case and uh, Commerce Tools uh, a couple of months ago.
0: Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. I know we we got quite technical, but you can't really have a discussion about headless without getting technical. It's difficult. It's difficult to keep it high level. And I hope that what we've done is by verbalizing some of the diagrams that we were looking at that were technical, it can help a broader audience to start to understand some of the benefits, but also the challenges associated with going headless and roadmapping a route from what is probably a market that's 99.5% monolithic today in commerce deployments in the world today. That I would say they're absolutely the lion's share, at least from what I'm seeing, are monolithic. And that world will change absolutely, particularly as the world starts to introduce new user experience layers and devices and hardware and wearables and as the metaverse becomes more common, obviously that by definition is a headless experience in the metaverse. And so I think that as we're starting to look at our glasses, VR glasses, uh, VR experiences, this model of going headless, anybody that goes headless today is actually setting themselves up very well for these new and emerging interaction channels with consumers, where eventually commerce will literally be available everywhere. And so by definition, that is going to be a headless environment where the front ends that customers interact with will proliferate and explode. We now need a headless environment to service those commerce experiences wherever they may be using whatever device they may be using at the time. So thank you again for all of your wisdom, all of your experience and sharing that with us, I think this will be incredibly helpful for anybody that A, was wondering what the hell headless even means, but also (laughs) starting to think about strategically how, where, and when headless might fit in to their organizational. My pleasure. And thanks for facilitating it. Some great
1: conversation. Very happy to follow up with any specific questions that people have got. And I love this interplay between someone like yourself, Jason, with that bridge between the merchants and their needs and technical capability. I think it's a really great combination. So uh, good on you for setting up this forum. And I think let's keep chatting.
0: If you'd like to register for free for the mentor sessions with Jason Greenwood, Head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and click Get Mentored by Jason. See you there.